You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we're building a health and fitness resource by trying to answer a single question every week, just based on what we already know. Or maybe what we think we know. Then we bring in the world's leading expert to tell us what we got right and what we got wrong. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. I am discovering that this um, computer... Getting a little old... It is getting old and doesn't like uh, doesn't like uh, having multiple things going on. So, like every the last I don't know probably six or eight of these the um, the version that was recording on the laptop has died, and so we've been left with the version that's recording on the board, which is just fine. I I, I mean nobody can tell, uh, but 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 me, and it means I have to put it back together every time. My Mac blew up like. Four years into the game. Really? I think I'm a PC guy now. This one is from uh, 2012. Oh, that's pretty good. And then the other one is from from like late 2014. I guess mine's probably pretty old now. Oh, no. Mine's probably 2014. Whenever I started like my own YouTube. Yeah. But I used to not give a shit. I was anti-iPhone just because everyone was iPhone. I pulled a hipster move. Yeah. And then now but using PC to play video games and to work. Mm-hmm. It's fast, man. It's fast. And fast internet. If you haven't had fast internet in the world, I like fast internet. I don't have really fast internet. Oh, my God. It's life-changing. So uh, joining us today, uh, Derek McCormick. Um, he, uh, I think, so, sometimes has trouble calling himself an author, but that's what he is. Um uh, can you can you be a can you be an author but not be a writer? I think that that's not really true. But uh, uh, two books that um, I personally have gotten a lot out of, and um, uh, I've known Derek for a long time. Uh, Tea Time with the Reaper and uh, Grimm's After Tea Desserts. Uh, the second one came out pretty recently, right? A couple months ago, Derek wrote in the first book about um, correct dealing uh, a couple with months the ago. death of his wife. Angela, and in a way that these kinds of like stories don't, aren't usually told. Um, I think that uh, the the way that you approach it and how we're sort of jumping the, into the middle of the story and then get the the whole the whole lead up to it is just I don't know. It's just it's just masterful to me. So I don't know that you have to be. I don't have to, you have to be on the New York Times bestseller list to have a really salient point about a very um f- like fraught emotional issue and uh uh it's just I don't know it's really good for me to to read and then the the um having experienced a shitty amount of loss in my own life and then um the the follow up uh is really a lot of context about how to how your life goes on after you've lost someone and and ways to think about how all that that comes together um what what motivated did what motivated you and were these both of them were they in your head the way that they came out in the paper or was it a long process in figuring out how to tell these stories
Well, you know, as you uh, alluded to in the beginning, I don't consider myself an author. I'm just some guy who felt compelled to first share uh, Angela's story from the moment we met to the moment she died uh, because of, you know, a number of reasons. One, the, the love that we shared, a lot of people, even to this day, don't necessarily believe. They feel it's almost very fairy tale or very Hollywood in, in how amazingly well we worked together. Uh, beyond that is the suffering that she needlessly endured because of the system in which we all live, uh, both in how people discuss uh, illness, whether it be terminal or otherwise, discuss treatments, and ultimately discuss the, the, the death of, of people you know, it's, it's wild in that every single one of us knows someone, whether they be one, two, three, four, five, six degrees of separation, has died. And usually mm. in or on a timeline that we never no. thought was going to be the case. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't go on schedule. And then how people react to that, uh, that aftermath, that is what... I just I felt compelled to share my experience and to honor Angela with that first book. Uh, it's not something I ever thought I would do, uh, even when she was sick. I'm like, there's no reason. But during that time, both of us were asked so many times about our story and, and how we met and how the relationship was and how that changed when she was diagnosed and all those things. It just felt right to share it. Uh, so that first book, Tea Time with the Reaper, came out nine months to the day that she died. Uh, and then that, as it kind of made its way out into the world, people began reaching out to me. Uh, they felt comfortable in opening up, sharing their stories, because I was so brutally upfront with what Angela and I experienced. Uh, they were telling me stories, and some of those stories were just incredibly heartbreaking what people have been forced to deal with without the proper tools. You know, our society doesn't handle death well. So you get people thrown into the, into the, the wood chipper and they have no idea how to cope because it was never even a topic of discussion in their life. You know, they get broadsided by it. Uh, that, those stories, I, as each one came, I, came in, I felt more and more compelled to become a caretaker for those stories, much like I chose to be one for Angela's story. So sitting down at dinner with one of Angela's former uh, co-workers and good friends, uh, Biff Butler, uh, he suggested, you know what, you have to do a podcast. And, you know, Jim, you'll, you'll <laughs> attest to this. I, I'm not someone who is looking to be in front of a camera. I have z zero interest of, of any kind of notoriety. So I was a little hesitant, but a few days later, he sent me mm -hmm. like a three-page written pitch of, okay, here's how the podcast is going to go. Like I, the choice was removed for me. So we worked on kind of building the format uh, for a couple months, and then we sat down uh, and recorded episodes with people who have experienced death uh, in their own unique way. So whether it was a spouse a child, um, a good friend, even a, even a family pet 
what did those deaths do to them? How did those deaths impact them in the moment and as well as in the aftermath down the road? So the podcast was this odd evolution of being a caretaker for Angela's story. Then that led to the third or the, pardon me, the second book, uh, Grimm's After Tea Desserts. And the motivation there was to help share those stories that were shared on the podcast, but also to try to get people to think about grief a little differently. You know, when people say, oh, you're grieving, what does that mean? What does that mm. look like? What does that entail? And nobody really wants to talk about it. You know, they just, they've got this umbrella term to explain this absolute chaotic shit show of internal dialogue and, and emotions that anyone who's forced to face death has to experience. And so that's where that book, I'm hoping, becomes a, uh, a tool or a guide for people to first let them know if you think you're insane, you're not. Yeah. Other people have experienced something similar. It might be a different ride, but we all have commonalities in that. Uh, and then now I'm slowly working on a, a third book, which I'm hoping to be a children's book, because I think that's where we need to put a lot of focus. I think so many parents avoid the topic or they dress it up. They apply the rainbows and unicorns approach, and that just sets their children yeah, up for uh, failure so in the future. In like the religious when world, when Grimm comes like, knocking, uh, I, I was raised Catholic um, up until I was about eighteen. Uh, even in that world, things are like addressed, but they're not really like taught. They're not really. You have like funerals and wakes, and and that's just kind of like the the period at the end of the life, and then and then there's nothing. You know, there's no like lessons. There's no. Uh, how do you deal? I think the only place that I've yeah. found some information, because like both of you, I've kind of been through a pretty young age, uh, probably more loss than I'd like to. I even forget <laughs> how much loss I, it I was. I forget yours, too, because I know that it's, it's it's always more than I remember. Yeah, it's more than I remember. Uh, when I was 18, I lost my best friend. Um, a couple years later, uh, I, I lost my father, my best friend's mother. Uh, one of my closer aunts, uh, one of my favorite kids I ever coached ended up taking his own life, uh, all within five years of each other. There's probably like, I don't know, six people at, at, at one point, And I, I regret, I don't know. I don't really like the word regret, but I feel bad. I just, I just stopped going to funerals. Like my mom would text me and we're talking and, and then my other really good friend's father passed away. Who was a mentor in my life. I didn't go to his funeral with my buddy text me he's like man i feel bad i didn't go to your dad's i was like bro i couldn't go to your dad's like it was just too much at some point beside the point um the only place i found some kind of like answer of what grief is uh was even more recently uh in therapy therapists some i, I imagine have a better grasp and explanation of what any of this means or how to deal with it or the roller coaster you go on um because the church didn't really teach me anything mm -hmm. um or or to help loved ones uh, right, like my losing my father was obviously very difficult for me, but very difficult for my mother. It yeah. was unexpected um, and fairly young. Uh, so, like how you handle any human during those times um, is insanely overwhelming. And and I've heard during like traumas, and every loss is a trauma. Obviously, any anything could be mm -hmm. defined as a trauma depending on how it affects a human. Um, 
uh, the memory loss you go through mm-hmm. and like time speeds up it slows down it's 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 uh really inexplicable unless you've kind of uh gone through it but uh yeah there's not a lot of resources there's not a lot of resources uh for something that is um definite gonna hit every human love like you said maybe not every human's searching for that and every human's avoiding death um not everyone's guaranteed love but everyone's guaranteed death and a funny thing about it too is that people who haven't who experienced it, you know, as often maybe or as deeply yeah. as as some others, when they do, and you talk to them, they will say things like, "I never understood X thing before," or "I'm feeling this way," and I've and I and 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 I don't know if anyone's ever felt this way before. It's like, yeah, no, no, like a lot of people have. Yeah, it's just it's just you haven't you haven't had to face it before, so you don't. So you don't know, yeah. but, and and when you go through it multiple times, there are things about the experience that feel similar from 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 um, you know from from loss to loss, but they're not all the same either, right? Because your, your relationship, yeah, is different, re- and what you deal with daily with that person or on your own is yeah. different. Yeah, I can tell you, it was dramatically different losing my my father in law uh, to losing my best friend. Yeah, and then to losing both of my parents shortly after that, sure. like each one of those is different. Each one of them has a different feeling and flavor about it, and and I have different emotions about it too. You know, I mean, like I, uh, there's not a whole lot I can say about having lost my parents. I there's a lot I can say about having lost my my best friend because he was so sure you know so close to my own age, and and his situation is a little different than mine. He had younger kids. And then, you know, my my father-in-law was one of those people who, you know, huge personality, sucks all the air out of the room. And and you never stop processing that. Right. Never, ever, ever stop processing that. We, we, if somebody that took up that big of, of a chunk of your daily life, like my at the point that my parents, you know, before they got sick, they weren't taking up huge amounts of my, of my life. I had my own kids, my own family, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But... My 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 father in law, huge personality, just sucks in the whole yeah. the whole yeah. thing, the whole um, the whole experience. My kids' whole experience growing up is more about about him than than my parents. And right? you talking about uh, relating to people? I think obviously it's always relevant because this is the cycle of life. But uh, I think it's extremely relevant lately. At least it is to me. We had a. Um, human behavioral specialist on the podcast really early days of COVID. uh, And he talked about worried about the mental health Mm -hmm. coming for this. And something I've kind of just touched on here and there is the mental health of uh, whatever you want to call them, content creators Mm -hmm. or people of that nature who are getting ridiculed day in and day out, the stress of kind of the hamster wheel of having to be the next staying relevant, whatever that might be and how those health effects uh, may come to fruition in the future. Cause this is the first generation ever have to deal with that. I was talking with the boys here uh, the other day of like how different it is. Um, Tom Cruise comes out with a movie once a year. Worst case, he reads a bad critique on his movie. It probably hurts his feelings, yeah. but he, they're they're critiquing the movie and they're critiquing his acting. They're not c- mm. critiquing Tom Cruise. And these are all examples. I just made up Tom Cruise because he's famous. Whereas like um, a Twitch streamer, a YouTuber, a podcaster, or something who's putting out content every single day, they're not doing a character. They're saying, Jim McDee, you sucked in that podcast. Yeah. And that affects these people, obviously, to a level that we don't know. And recently in the... Uh, Twitch world uh, and the live streaming world uh, I think two or three quite large creators took their lives 
over this last um, probably two weeks. And the, and one was one of the early, early creators of um, Twitch. He was one of the biggest streamers and one of the pioneers. Um, I, I watched some of his content. I wasn't like a fan or anything, but I watched it. But the ripples that he had in the community, I was reading on Twitter, um, some younger Twitch streamers and uh, guys that like lived with them because like streaming communities or like streaming culture like a lot of guys would like get a house together get really good internet and then they just all streamed and kind of lived together you know kind of like a frat house type thing yeah and one of these kids um i say kids he's probably 24 um i saw him tweeting he's like i've never lost someone and i'm like reading this tweet i'm like yeah man like you know like you just feel that because the kid's 24 his parents are probably 40 50 60 Mm -hmm. they're probably pretty healthy you obviously don't often lose friends Mm -hmm. until you're of older age um and so this poor kid is just lost you know and i'm reading his tweets i'm like man this poor fucking kid like i feel i feel you (laughs) yeah and that and that and that's definitely something that goes back to what we were touching on earlier. Every death is different, but we have this this belief that yeah. there's a certain sequence. You know, if your grandparent dies, that you know, people even sure. if they don't want to face that, they sort of understand it because they're old. Par- parent that makes a little bit you know, it's not comfortable, but it makes a little more sense. But then when you start getting into people your own age, your child infants all of a sudden it becomes much harder to kind of understand the why behind that because it's against the natural order that we've been taught um so when you have people that's going to the streamers who are in their 20s or 30s taking their lives during this bizarre time we find ourselves in I, i have to wonder you know how much time were they had they invested or their parents invested in discussing mortality as a whole? Because the one thing I've noticed over the last handful of months is those who have, let's say, if we were to put everyone on a spectrum, those people on the freak out, paranoid, hysteria end of the spectrum, they all seem to have a horrible relationship with their own mortality and just death in general. Whereas those who are on the other end of the spectrum that understand kind of what's happened, what's going to happen next, they all seem to have a pretty good handle on, on death. And I've said this before, I believe uh, individually, but also as a society, how we view and discuss and accept death is the, you know, kind of the tip of the spear and everything can, can tie from that. It kind of, you know, you know goes down the, the checklist of being able to manage and live within different scenarios and, and face different challenges because yeah. once you've gone through the worst yeah. thing I ever, think sadly the only thing that's like popular left? in that realm is like I call them gurus or like motivational posts like live every day like it's your last like that doesn't hit a string with anyone reading some little corny little figure on a Instagram it's also pretty post. impractical when it really comes yeah. right down to it yeah but but the thing you can be thinking about and that certainly you know I'm of an age that I'm definitely thinking about is like how like how much longer sure like when you get it you think about a planning horizon it's like oh, well what's a reasonable amount of time that I can still do this thing or that thing um, or you know when when will all that change and uh, you know I'm not not being a, a person that put a lot of thought into uh, or ever put a lot of thought into the idea of suicide. 
the folks who who are contemplating that step, then that whole oh, how much longer gets really short. Sure. Maybe, right? And Well, to, to, to speak to that, um, I have on my calendar, uh, which was set uh, quite, uh, quite a while ago, uh, the day that I said, you know what, I'm going to be done. This is how much time I have left to do what I want to do. Um, so there are people who I think when it comes to, to taking their own life, it may be a spur of the moment or a very kind of, you know, random thought. But I think for a lot of others, there is a, there can be yeah. a great deal of planning in it. Now, most of the time they don't share that with anybody. So it has a tendency to come off as a surprise, but you know, it's, part of what we were talking about earlier on how society deals with death, you know, someone self-determining their own existence, someone committing suicide is a huge component of that. But even that is kind of that weird taboo thing that nobody wants to talk about because it is under that umbrella of death. You know, there was times, especially right after Angela died, I'd have people who knew me, uh, they would ask the, well, how you doing? And I understand their intent. They're trying to show care. But my answer was, well, there hasn't there isn't a day that's gone by that I haven't thought about putting a bullet in my head because that is where I was at. Now, the reaction, the reaction they had to that, that reply was, oh, my God, freaking out, run away. You're talking crazy instead of going. Holy shit, tell me more. So when you when you have people who are in that level of struggle, even if they do take the risk of sharing it most people which is even a bigger the problem by either shutting them down or running away of not normal discussions either yeah so yeah I, because and, when somebody says that they don't it doesn't necessarily mean that they're having actual suicidal ideation it's a measurement of how much pain that they're in right and how much they would like it to go away and even if it is suicidal ideation like yeah how do you deal with that rather than freak her out or like sorry dude can't deal with that and they text you in six weeks from now, or go, or the opposite, call nine one one, or and the fear of about yeah. that, and that's kind of the discussions happening online now with some of these creators. Rather than, I see Jim is bleeding. I if I can handle it, I'm gonna give him a little band aid. Uh, it's the same thing with mental health. If I can't handle it, I'll probably just call a nurse friend. Hey, uh, here with Jim, his arm's bleeding real bad. Uh, do we get staples? Do we get stitches? What do we do? Um, and handling mental health in the same path would be should be the norm but because we don't discuss those type of things uh and because like you like death if you haven't experienced it yourself and i've had you know a couple yeah. close people in my life over the the years i've been here and and i try to describe some of my depressions or anxieties and some of them are just don't they don't i've, yeah. ne I've never uh, oh that's weird why don't you just be a little bit more positive yeah man i'd love to i'd love to just you know yeah, I'm just gonna positive the shit out of my attitude right now. And, I don't, uh, and all my all my depression, everything will go away. Yeah, like some people see a sunny day and, and they that, see, oh, it's gonna be that, sunny for the next three months. Mm -hmm. And so other those, people see a sunny day and they say, oh, the storm is coming. Right, yeah. and that's just kind of the thing you can't change in someone's yeah. brain. Um, and maybe you can with some practice and therapy and some yeah. other things. But th th there's the distinction in humans too. A person who's seen and been a part of some kind of death or loss, and a person that hasn't, there is a different mindset generally. Yeah. It, very true. And the interesting thing with uh, a lot of people who will have that kind of 
negative reply to someone being honest about what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I find it equivalent yeah. to the keyboard cowboys who try to tell people how to squat. You know, like I- I'm going to sit here and criticize Chris Duffin on his squat technique. Meanwhile, I can't lift a hundred pounds. It's people yeah. sometimes yeah. forget that the yeah. best reaction is just to shut the fuck up and listen. Don't, don't try to, don't try to steer the person away. Don't try to, you know, pretend you understand when you know and, you don't. And try just really hard not there, to say all the stupid and shit them that people say. I, and, and it's, I, I think we're all programmed to do it, <laughs> but it is painful to, to hear if you're like, you know, so-and-so is in a better place. They're out of their suffering. Um, you know, all of those. I mean, there's a long list of, of, of just platitudes that people, because they don't know what else to say and they don't know what else to do, or they're just that shallow and they don't have anything else that they're, yeah. they don't have anything heartfelt to say. They're just going to. I think humans just want an answer to everything. And that's kind of what you were talking about, Derek, where you're talking about losing a parent. What's the answer to that? Well, they're older. We lose, we die when we're old. Losing a son, no answer. And the hysteria, I've seen both reactions mm-hmm. from humans. I think when I have experienced these things in the moment, I kind of go to like big brother mode, whatever situation I'm in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like w- with my dad, it was kind of taking care of my mom. When it was with my best friend, it was taking care of his siblings or, or like seeing what's going on mm-hmm. and seeing like my best friend's dad in the hospital. Like I observed a lot, mm-hmm. I think, uh, because I didn't know how to feel myself. So I just kind of like turned into a mummy and just kind of observed. Um, and when there's reason, when you got an answer, oh, she was old. She's 80. Mm-hmm. She had cancer. Eh, that's sad. I miss her. Uh, but that's how it goes, <laughs> right? But the, the, the funny thing is with the reasons, and, and especially over the last few months with discussions with people on, on COVID specifically, I sure, really yeah. am trying to get people to realize that everyone has a pre-existing condition. It's called being human. We're all going one way or another, um, but nobody wants to accept that. So they start searching for reasons or excuses as to why someone did or didn't die. You know, going back to the, uh, to the suicide part yeah. uh one common or, or one story i've brought up on many occasions is anthony bourdain when 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 he killed himself i can't count the number of, of people sure. either in co- daily conversations or on social media who went down the he had everything he was this he was that blah 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 blah. but nobody wanted to mm. admit it to the fact that he had demons that he actually talked about over the years so you know sometimes with the reasons comes judgment and with those reasons, they're also, you know, whether it be subconscious or otherwise, trying to distance themselves from that death, meaning, oh, well, he was crazy. I'm not crazy. I won't die. He was a drug user. I'm not a drug user. I won't die. In Angela's case, well, she had cancer. I don't have cancer, so I'm not going to die. There's the, I don't know if it's malicious, but I think people really try to convince themselves that that won't happen to them yeah. and do whatever well, they can Bourdain, to try to distance themselves like, from that had particular death. Having everything probably helped him survive longer. Right. And, and his and, everything and, is, and, is in our everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like he, he would probably have thrown the towel in sooner had it the quality, otherwise exactly. quality of his life not been so good. Sure. But he was, he clearly had demons. He was clearly tortured by stuff in his head that, that he could not let go of. Yeah. Well, an ego-driven people might, might be super happy with just having money. 
and their yeah. life might be great and whatever mental health yeah. might be set, but other people might need relationships or they might not be able to, who knows? It can be any, anything could trigger uh, sadness or emptiness. You know, it could be the fact that you can't handle death. Hey, I can't handle death. I'm just going to get this over with now. I can't handle, you know, not being in love. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this now. I'm going to, I can't handle the scrutiny or whatever. Yeah. Or, or yeah. I, yeah. I would love for people to entertain the concept that maybe he was just done. And, and, and if that was the case, you know, Mazeltov, you know, good for him. He made a choice that he was done. Now, obviously, every choice is going to affect that person and everyone around him. So, you know, for example, in conversations about suicide with people, which I hope more people start talking about this, especially now, because with, you know, the restrictions and the financial challenges people are facing and all these things, that mental health component is going to be yeah. incredibly uh, prevalent for a long time. Uh, months and years from now, people are still going to be dealing with, with what's happening now. So with that conversation, it is, mm-hmm. it should be allowed that people have just said, look, I'm done. And although as that may be hard to hear for some people, if we could say, okay, tell me why, no judgment, just listen to why they think they're done. And maybe they'll actually come to the realization that they're not done. But you can't, for some people that I've spoken with who've said, oh, I want to die, I'm going to kill myself. I asked them, is there, is this a, an end or is this an out? Are you, are you, have you completed your journey or are you trying to escape something? You know, but without people wanting to be open about that and, and hear some of that dark stuff that can come out of, of people they know that they, they never thought would be that, uh, that hurt or, or battling that level of, of pain it's it's tough. It's tough for the person experiencing it, and it's tough for the people who to, um, probably don't want to hear it but need to hear it. An NPR show this over the weekend. Uh, it was um, what's her name, uh, Lori Kilmartin, who writes for Conan. Uh, her mom, who lived with her um, in her eighties, uh, fell, broke a hip, ended up in a skilled nursing facility, got COVID, and eventually died. And they they basically watched her die on an iPad. And um, like they left the iPad on for the last 70 hours of her life. Originally they had been like, can you just, like, can you turn on the iPad, calling it into the, the, the facility saying, can you turn the iPad on so that we can see her? And you know, they, she was in a coma, they couldn't really converse with her. And they were literally like, ultimately watch, they got, they said, screw it, we're just gonna, we just wanna have it on. We just, we need to have that on. And they they literally watched her last last breath. Uh, and then it was another hour before the facility realized, you know, what had happened and called them and said, you know, whatever. And they said, we can leave it on however you wanna, however long you want it to stay on until, you know, until we have to clear the room at some point. And uh, um, she said that she didn't even think about it about about her mom being really gone until they turned the iPad off. Until, you know, it's like, I, I don't, I mean, apropos yeah. of nothing, I just, the, the whole experience of, sure. of death has changed for us and being able to do um, 
funerals, memorial services in, in person. Those yeah. those things are are largely at the window right now. Our good friend um, Jacob Ross lost his dad a couple months ago, and it was the same same kind of thing. Yeah, his dad had uh, uh, early onset Alzheimer's, and uh, and I mean Jacob had to be in in Texas for a couple of weeks and they you know would let one person come in at a time and you think about just that that complicates all of this emotional shit because you don't have the access and and like watching someone on an iPad is not the same thing as being there yep. because you, like it's difficult to say oh that the the person who was dying and they're in a coma or whatever can feel your presence on the iPad sure. i can make a great case for people being able to to sense your presence, you know, uh, w- <laughs> when they're dying, if they're in a coma, and you're actually in the room and you're talking to them or whatever, you know, it's we're not at the point where my with like my grandchildren, mm-hmm. or my 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 five year old grandson, uh, we talk to them on uh, pretty much every week now um, because they're th- thousands of miles away, and. Uh, that our Zoom, our our FaceTime call started with the fact that uh, he and his brother were playing hide and go seek, and, and he carried the iPad with him to hide the whole time. Yes, he's like, "Be quiet, don't talk, so they can hear us." And then when everyone was hiding and he was supposed to be, he was supposed to be counting and and waiting to seek, he turned the camera down to the floor so that we couldn't see where they were. <laughs> <laughs> either but we're not there as people yet sure. i mean that their generation may continue to feel that way but we don't you know if you're not if you don't get to yeah. be physically present then there is a piece of the experience missing for everybody yeah and uh there's it's uh it's much like the being in yeah. the room when that when someone dies and then getting the phone call that someone dies and that's not it, it's not necessarily a, a competition that you want to compare, but there's a significant difference in the impact of that death and obviously all the ensuing emotions yeah. for those two people, the one in the room versus the one that gets the phone call. And, uh, you know, going back to the, the whole covid world that we're living in. I think part of obviously there's the fallout to those who are unable to have a traditional funeral. Uh, unable to see their loved ones who happen to be in, in either skilled nursing facilities or hospitals or sometimes a care center where that physical connection is cut off. For everyone on the outside, they're seeing these almost random deaths from this new virus. Mm. And that obviously kind of pushes death and mortality in their face. And I think a lot of people are, are reacting very poorly and venting that fear in other ways because they just don't want to face a yeah. possibility that for they me personally i'm not so much afraid of dying of it. i'm afraid of living after it with in like permanent impairment yeah that's a whole plenty of that going on another uh, discussion we could bring up or not stats of yeah covid and everything going around and it's just a zero-sum game for everyone like you live or you die stop being a pussy well, yeah there's no, a lot of things in between living and dying yeah yeah <laughs> there's quality that's, of your life there's uh, the life we know it now with masks and FaceTime only. Like there's a lot of factors running around yeah. our world. Yeah. We had uh, Chris Duffin on uh, a couple of weeks ago 
Uh, it's probably been more than a couple of weeks now because I've lost completely track of time. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, we got into a discussion with him about um, about how the how surviving the death of a loved one can have an, an impact and have a positive or negative impact on your life. And that's a, a lot of what I see in your second book. And um, uh, at what point when you were recording the podcast, did you think, hmm, like the, there's, there's more, there's more information. There's more, maybe instruction, I guess is what I'm trying to, trying to say that can come from from understanding uh, people's experience in, in a way that um, helps other people move forward, I guess. A hundred percent. You know, I think a lot of people's uh, communication with their with their inner circle or or outside of that via social media is kind of superficial a lot of the times people don't want to get into some of the tougher or more painful topics because of of fear of of the reaction of the people they're talking with or communicating with but yeah you know when, whether it's the the people who reached out after the first book or the people i sat down with uh for the podcast that ultimately led to the second book every t- every single time someone shared their story with me there was at least one thing in there that validated what I experienced, what I felt as the result of, of, you know, as I've said before, the result of killing my wife, of of Angela dying. And as different as they all are, there is this connection that we, that we can share if we're open to it. Uh, To Chris's point. Yeah. A death is, can be the most impactful thing in someone's life, depending on how it's received and, and, and processed. You know, for myself, you know, something as simple as words mean a lot more to me now than they did before Angela was sick and dying. Uh, a lot of people use loss and pass, and those are things that I just can't use anymore because they don't fit what occurred. Um, so... You know, every, as I said, every time I hear someone's story, someone shares their story with me, whether it's the, the girl I talked to from New York whose brother died when his car ran into a wall and he was an addict, um, or whether it's the person who walked in to the bedroom and saw their partner hanging from the, from the clothes rack, each story, there's things that we all can learn to help prepare us for that inevitability. It's not going to necessarily make it easier, but at least we can go in with, uh, with some tools knowing that, A, we're not the only one who's experienced this, but we can survive and move forward in our own lives, possibly with even greater purpose, if we're willing yeah. to really kind of um, sit in it and, and experience it. I think it. that, you know, some people are going to come out of a situation and do things that they wouldn't have done for the positive you know they will they will accomplish things that they would not have accomplished otherwise because their life just you know changed for one i mean the the pattern of their of their life changed uh and other people won't and i don't know that uh, there shouldn't be any guilty guilt associated with that i don't think right that you don't come out of it and you know 
you know, write a book or 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 develop a more um, energy efficient Tesla engine or sure. you know something like that, you know, because that's all that's all super superhuman stuff, <laughs> right? And I think that we we don't we shouldn't expect ourselves to be superhuman. It's great when it happens, though, but. Most most people who face death uh, uh, as the observer, and obviously not the person who dies, we shouldn't expect them, as you yeah. said, to come out and try to accomplish some superhuman task or try to change the world. But what I don't see is enough people honoring those who have died. Mm-hmm. You know, they go to the wake or they go to the funeral and then they just move on. They don't. They don't really seem to do anything to honor that person who apparently was so important. You know, it's uh, yeah. going back a, a while pr- prior to COVID when Kobe died. I met people who were like, ah, who gives a shit? That was, he was just a basketball player. And then I met other people who Kobe was the biggest inspiration and the most impactful person that was in their mm-hmm. life. So they were crushed by his, by his death. And so, yeah, we can't have judgment on how people react, but I think it's, if someone was important, we need to do something to honor them. It can be something small, it can be something big, but I think society's fear of death has kind of permeate, permeate, uh, has really gotten, I'm not going to use the right word, of course, but has really gotten into the mindset of the masses and they just kind of mm-hmm. go through the checklist yeah, I of, I sent a card, yeah, I sent flowers, I went to the health, funeral, and I'm moving on. In general, where people, and ignore- you know, uh, dealing with their own feelings, how, how to be a human, how to deal with emotions, how to deal with hard topics, and what's more difficult than death or love or, or even just pain or, or happiness. We're not taught those things. So I'd say, and this is just 100% anecdotal, but the majority of people deal with these things by suppressing them or not dealing with them, mm-hmm. right? So maybe it's not, like you said, maybe maybe not malicious or maybe it's not maybe it's not lazy yep. or maybe, but people just say, uh, all right, yeah, I checked my list off. I went to the funeral and then now I have to get on with my taxes and, and, and my laundry um, rather than like feeling, li- living in, and that's part of the issue of grieving too and that I'm dealing with now. Yeah, they've, they're like seven. Just- seven years since my dad passed and a couple more since my best friend passed is that if you do that, which I did dove myself into work and perfectionism and all my other <laughs> issues I have as a human, um, that those feelings don't, they don't go away mm-hmm. uh, unless you deal with them. So, you know, that I'm, you know, went through a deep, deeper depression when I'm 30, nope. 31, even though my dad passed when I was 23, um, because I had changed my focus and I, and I had some reasoning, right? I had to take care of my mother. I had to pay bills and when my mother couldn't, um, so whether it's justified, not justified, malicious, not the other humans just don't know how to deal with it, but eventually you're going to have to deal with it. it it's It's not going to go away. Yeah. And whether that, some people do it with alcohol, some people do it with, yeah. I did it with working, yeah. um, whatever it might be, it's going to be there. A lot of people. Yeah. And there's zero, there's zero rhyme or reason to when. Yeah, yeah, those emotions will hit someone to the point where they're kind of forced to face them. You know, sometimes that's going to happen before the funeral or after the funeral or 10 years later. You know, there are people who have put themselves into their work or into a bottle or into other things yeah. and done their damnedest to not face that those emotions and those feelings and what actually occurred for a decade or more. You know, my own father 
he never he never really even discussed my mother's death. Like it it happened. He he did did the funeral, and then that was it. Now I could see and I could hear and feel how much pain he was in, and how much he missed her, and how much his world was no longer what he thought it was going to be. But sure as hell didn't sit there and talk about it, which I think ultimately led to his own death, just from the stress uh, and mm. void that he was unable yeah, um, or, or unwilling to, to discuss his on face. the Kobe situation and i'm i always get frustrated when people complain about other people's like public mourning of public figures like you don't know what that person meant to her you know you don't know any of us who have has any kind of platform at all have the potential to impact somebody's life at a crucial point and you don't know you're doing that. Right. It just, it happens. I mean, actually, you don't know you're doing it, and heaven forbid that you should try to engineer it because that sucks. And it's 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 ingenuous. It is, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> but like yesterday, uh, uh, one of the Mythbusters died of a brain aneurysm. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, but Grant, he, he was 49 and died of a, brain aneurysm like no didn't see it coming how how would how would you know unless unless you'd had symptoms sure and a lot of people in that that the kind of you know stem geek maker community whatever are are distraught right because that's somebody who i mean i don't know how what the last time he was regularly on television but a lot of people at a particular point in their lives identified with what he was involved in yeah yeah and to know that that person is no longer in the world is is just a heavy burden for a lot of folks and like i was i'm not i was never a big kobe fan or whatever and and he certainly had his his um his issues in public i want to say trials but there was only one trial anyway uh (laughs) but you can't help but be affected by by the fact that he was a you know was a family yeah. guy and he did a lot of he did a lot of good things for a lot of good people and and you can't i mean it's it sucks when people try to to uh diminish the sort of honest grief that people feel about the loss of a public figure yeah uh and at the same time everybody's a mixed bag you know i mean people do bad things and people do good things and one hopes that the good outweighs the bad but they're both elements are going to be there i wonder if that has to do again with some people just not really having to deal with death because some people go a very late in their very life long time yeah. uh, with ever having to deal with it and so then if they see well you didn't even know kobe dude it's not like you lost your dad I'm like well maybe that was his dad you know like yeah. in, in, in his mind or or and if you again if you haven't dealt with it you know Who's to say, uh, like you mentioned, I think, your your well, parents versus your father-in-law. Yeah. If you just tell someone, I was more sad or whatever term, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, that, uh, that my father-in-law passed than my own parents, we're like, yeah, Jim, you're stupid. That's crazy. No one. You're, you're of course, going to be more sad about your parents. Like Some people aren't that connected to their parents or like your situation, they weren't in your everyday life as much. Yeah. It was the natural cycle. You, whatever it might be, it doesn't really fucking matter at the end of the day. But how you feel has zero to do with a label of another human. Yeah, you label Kobe as my favorite basketball player. That may me mean more to me than my sister or my dad or mm. my brother or my cousin, right? Or my, or my uh, who I'm married to, even you know. But yeah. maybe you don't have that connection there. Who knows? Yeah, yeah for sure. And I, and a lot of that ties back to 
how people were, and I use the word programmed because I think it's more fitting than taught, were programmed at a young age. You know, we talked about religion just briefly in the beginning, and didn't Jesus die and then come back to life? Like, even in, in that particular fable, right. people are taught that death right. isn't actually death. Death is not forever forever gone. So it's this, that weird programming gets, kind of sets people up to ignore the reality of the situation, which ultimately leads to kind of failing to uh, appreciate the value of that person. You know, if, if, if I think someone's going to live forever, I don't, I'm not going to feel as bad if they're, if they're gone from here because now they're happy and in a better place and all this other shit instead of really accepting the fact that that, that person who meant something to me is forever gone. And all that's left are the, are the memories that I have, which, as we all know, as we get a little bit older, memory has a tendency to, to fade, which yeah, I think further that's makes I the, went that, with the pain that someone might experience Everyone to find a reason tougher. or an answer or whatever, and, and you talked about honoring. That's, like, the only way I could, like, deal with any of this is, like, it wasn't getting a tattoo. That wasn't for me. It wasn't, you know, making a, you know, a shrine or a memorial or <laughs> it just wasn't me. It just wasn't me. Uh, but for me, it was uh, trying to be more aware daily of what those people taught me. In the case of my dad, you know, like loyalty, hard work, all these things that I, that he didn't teach me, but I saw all the time. In the case of my best friend, is just we could do anything. He could make it happy. He could make it fun. He, he just had Jim talk about feeling a room. Mm. He didn't necessarily do it with his words always, but he just always felt energy. We're doing shitty chores, and it's way more fun when I was with him mm. versus anyone else. It's family. It's it's extended family. We went to his dad's house, and there's 12 of us there. None of us were blood-related, but his dad called his sons, and his dad yelled at me for not doing the dishes and <laughs> this kind of, uh, you know. They were Italian, so it feels Italian to yeah, me, yeah. but whatever it is, you know, how do I do that in my life? every day and like you said just even being a little bit more cognizant that not everyone's going to be here forever too so don't be a bitch to everybody mm. if you love someone you know treat them well and of course i'm not perfect i've been rude to tons of people and snapped at them or whatever and been rude to my mom who i love the most but just being a little bit more aware like all right how do i how can i spend my time and where do i want to spend my time and how do i do these things Yeah, and, and further to that, you mentioned the word family, and I, I sure, during yeah, conversations, sure. I try to make sure people understand that there's a difference between relatives and family. Because a lot of people seem to have the hardest time and find the most stress from relatives. Meanwhile, the family that they have chosen yeah. are the ones who are really there to love them and have their back. And, you know, I think a, a death of someone, say a relative, can really help painfully so, highlight who you really want to have around, who really matters to you, and those who are just kind of on the periphery and uh, How they're did, not as uh, worthy of your I, time. I know, I mean, you you had a, a, a job before this experience. You have, uh, you design equipment, and you were doing that before. How did this impact your your feelings about those things and like what you want to accomplish with with those things for a very fall well, for two and a half years uh for the most part i could give a flying fuck 
about job, about equipment design. It, I didn't see it offering the impact uh, or a valid way of honoring Angela and all those other stories that I have that have been imparted to me. Uh, the thing that mattered most was trying to get people to start thinking about the inevitable. <laughs> uh, obviously, that's maybe, not maybe necessarily not, yeah. the most profitable thing to to do with your time. So the, the yeah, not a lot of people are going to pay you to talk about death. Uh, that said, you know, I still have. Me we lost you for a second there, like and you're very pixelated. Can we can we get a reset on that that response? Oops. I'm sorry. And the question the question was how right. how did Angela's right. death impact the prior me? It, and, and it it's it's funny. I I view my there is before Angela, with Angela, and after Angela. And many of the things such as work, uh, such as the design of equipment, which mattered to me before and during her, doesn't matter as much to me now. I just simply didn't care. I didn't see those things as being impactful uh, and, and a real good way of honoring her. Uh, however, those are both still very active in that yeah, there's not a lot sure. of uh, financial and upside to being a guy who wants to talk about death all day. I was just going to say that, like, but don't. Um, go ahead. You clearly felt as though you had work to do around um, communicating about about your experience and in tapping into other people's experience and giving people a chance to share and creating commonalities and all that stuff. But there's also like work, <laughs> and when is was there a point where you said I, though I still have so much to do here, I feel like I've accomplished a lot, and I can give a little bit more energy to to what I was doing before. For me personally, uh, I don't think there's ever gonna I'm ever gonna be able to do enough to honor her in the way that I believe she should be honored. To help honor all those other stories that have that people have been incredible to share with the hopes that it helps other people. And it's tough to how do you put a, a goal or, or a, some type of measurable endpoint to to that task of trying to get people to face reality and face their own mortality more? Um, I I'm not delusional enough to think that I'm going to magically change society with some discussion or a book or a song. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like Wild Stallions where a new society is going to be developed because of what I do. That is not happening. Uh, but my hope is, is that there are, are some people who they learn, not learn, they, they, they hear those stories, they hear those lessons that are offered from death and are better able to live that I want what I want when I want it life that Angela was really about. 
you know, I think a lot of times people spend so much energy and resources on, on people and things that don't really matter. You know, anybody who's had a loved one uh, end up in the hospital, you know, kind of out of nowhere, out of the blue, it's amazing all the shit that, that falls to the side that's not important anymore. Uh, it's just unfortunate that that's the kind of event that has to occur in order for people to get to that point. I'd be really interested to see what life would be like if more people lived that way without having to have death be the reminder or the catalyst for that, that um, shift in their, I would be in their life and in their perspective. I would mention more fully your, um, your equipment. Uh, it's Havoc. And uh, the approach that you take to design is kind of similar to the approach of both of these books. It's not exactly what you'd expect, and yet it works really well. Is that, is that fair? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's a, a really fair uh, assessment of those two things. You know, when it comes to Havoc, or just exercise yep. equipment in general, because it seems like everybody and their, and their dog is coming out with something these days. The world does not need another dumbbell. It does not need another rubber band to wrap around yourself. What it needs is stuff that helps people achieve that next level. Something unique, something that offers an upside that carries over to outside of the gym. You know, it's cool that you can bench press 500 pounds, but if you can't move your own sofa, hmm. eh, I, I have to question your, your focus and your training. Um, so, yeah, with, with Havoc, it's not about making it more comfortable or making it easier or making it prettier. It's about making everything harder. Uh, and as to the discussion of death, a lot of people and I've said this before, a lot of people take that rainbows and unicorns approach and I try to be as subtle as a sledgehammer. You know, if, if your ego gets in the way of picking up a, say a 50 pound triad because you're used to picking up a hundred pound dumbbell, well, maybe that hundred pound dumbbell isn't working for you anymore. Maybe you need to try something different. If you're having people uh, in your life who have died and you don't know how to, deal with your emotions or, or, you know, accept that reality that they're gone, maybe you need to try different tools. You need to try some different equipment to evolve and become better suited at handling that. Because although most of us will never be under a 500-pound barbell benching, every single one of us at some point is going to face death. And I don't think this avoidance and this uh, they're in a better place, you know, soft handed, soft gloved approach is working anymore. I don't think it ever did. I just think it, the, it's, it's shortcomings are becoming more, more visible, how, especially how during this time. Our culture got there. And, I, and there are other cultures like that in, in the world where that kind of put death to the side, but there's there are others that celebrate it, um, differently and mourn it differently than, than we do. And, uh, I don't, I mean, as a society, we might be on an, an irreversible course relative to that, but I think individually we can, um, we can change how we feel and how we, how we react, I guess, um, to these kind of challenges. I think for the first, for those first world kind of societies and countries, 
those are the ones that I've seen that have the hardest or, or do such a poor job of, of accepting death and actually incorporating it into their, their society and their day-to-day life. Now, you go to a country where you've got to walk five miles Whoa, for water, yeah. you've probably seen death up close and personal a lot. But it's interesting to see how joyous those places can be for people, even though they don't have a lot. That perspective is is basically forced upon them. So if you if you have a country who's been kind of on cruise control for 50, 60 years with a really high life expectancy, it's pretty easy to push death aside because it's not in your face every day. So as if that changes... I. Or if it can yeah. change, I don't know how unless a lot of people start dying. Unfortunately, human beings aren't the fast learners. They, they need to be hit over the head with a sledgehammer most of the time. You know, it's the old horse and water analogy. I think that may be the only way to change the course uh, that we are on is more and more people being touched by death. Yeah, well, we may be on that course uh, and now. And sooner we'll and earlier in their life. What life looks like in six months. Um, on that happy note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a hit at parties, you know. Uh, where can people find you? And uh, where can people grab your books? Uh, reaper.com uh, uh, reaper on Instagram and Facebook. The books are available uh, through the website and through Amazon. And Havoc? Uh, Havoc is uh, Havoc, H-A-V-A-K dot net. Uh, Havoc Designs on social media. Uh, one could, someone could reach out to one and I can gladly help them with the other or whatever the case may be. I try my best to keep them separate. Uh, however, there's, you know, I'm the guy. So anybody who wants to reach out regarding either equipment stuff or, you know, more dear to my heart, uh, a discussion of mortality and death, they can reach me there. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Brand new episodes Wednesday with this a little bit more casual format for now returning. We're going to back to renovation in half an hour. So I appreciate you. I'm selling like Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want to find me. I am at the Jim McD on all the social media. Follow the show on Instagram. We are 50% facts where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. Website's the same. We'll talk to you next week.